Wonderful. Well, how many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building? And uh, thank you once again for coming, being a part of our service this evening. Let's open our Bibles to page number 957. If you have an old Schofield Bible, 957. Or if you don't, you'll find the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 3. And it's one of the 12 last books, little small books of the Old Testament. And if you'll maybe go to Matthew and just start, hang a left, uh, you'll eventually run into the book of Habakkuk. And we're in chapter 3, and I'd like to read two verses tonight, verse 1 and verse number 2, and then I'll ask you, if you will, to leave your Bibles open. And let's see if we can't make some sense out of all this. Uh, and I mean in, in that in the most uh, reverent manner, not that the Word of God doesn't make sense, but sometimes we find ourselves trying a little bit hard, it's a little bit difficult to relate uh, to the, the two situations, the, the Bible days and our day. But I think there's a great uh, truth for us in this text tonight. Habakkuk chapter number 3. Now don't forget the Lord's Day, whichever ser service you attend, the 8.30 or the 10 o'clock service. Hope you'll be in your place and we're looking forward to having a good time together Sunday, the Lord's Day, right before Christmas and then of course Sunday night, the special service with the choir. And that'll be a real, real blessing. Well, let's read now Habakkuk chapter 3, and I want to read verse 1 and verse number 2, and then if you'll just leave your Bibles open, I'm going to go back in a moment. We're going to break these verses apart and see what in the world all of this has to do with us. Look at verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigianoth. Boy, that's a word we don't use much no more. Do you hear anybody say, hey, hey, have y'all seen Shigianoth today? I mean, we don't use that word much around uh, in our culture. So he says, uh, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. And then he says this, verse 2, O Lord, here's his prayer. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. I think it would be good if all of us could maybe just memorize verse number 2 and just pray that prayer because it's just simply a prayer for Habakkuk, of Habakkuk for his nation, for his people, the people that were alive back in those days. And I want to try if I can to break that apart. And let's see if we can really find what he was praying for. So let's pray. Father, bless your word now and help us tonight, I pray, may this text. And I know folks are here, they're tired, they've driven through the rain to get here and maybe some had not even been home yet. But I pray, God, that your word would be fresh to us tonight. Lord, that you would have meat to eat that we know not of, a refreshment from your presence, from the Bible, from the Word. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, for the last two or three or four, as the case may be Wednesday evenings, we've been making our way through a kind of an out-of-the-way Old Testament book by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, the name means to wrestle, and truly, he was a wrestling prophet. In fact, I've called uh, Habakkuk this. I've called him the prophet with a problem. Because as we have noted in these messages, Habakkuk was a prophet that certainly had a problem. Really what we've been doing as we've read through this book, uh, what we've been doing is we've been listening to a conversation. Maybe I should say we've been eavesdropping on a conversation between this prophet by the name of Habakkuk and God Almighty himself. 
I've told, I told you, I've told you before that prophets were normally men who spoke to the people for God. But Habakkuk in this book is a prophet who spoke to God for the people. Because this book is nothing more than just a conversation that God had with Habakkuk. And just to remind you where we're at in this story, Habakkuk was living in the southern kingdom of Israel. We understand that Israel was at one time a united nation, but after the death of Solomon, the nation split in half. So there was a northern kingdom of Israel known as Israel or Ephraim, sometimes referred to as Manasseh. And then there was a southern kingdom of Israel, many times referred to as Judah. And as of Habakkuk's time, the northern kingdom has already been carried off into captivity by the Assyrians because of their outright rebellion against God. Those people up north had flaunted their, their sin in the face of a holy God until finally God said, okay, that's enough. And God brought in the Assyrians. God called in the Assyrians, which attacked the northern kingdom and uprooted those people and carried them off in the Assyrian captivity. Now you would think that their brothers down south would have saw everything that happened to their brothers up north and they would have learned a lesson. They would have thought to themselves that will not happen to us. But not so. Judah not only failed to learn from the experiences of their people, their brothers up north, man, they began to repeat the same sins of their brothers up north. Judah in Habakkuk's day was just as bad off with their idolatry and their wickedness as the people in the northern kingdom was. Well, before captivity came, God called two prophets, one by the name of Jeremiah. Boy, we're familiar with him. He's got a book in our Old Testament. It's got 51 chapters, 52 chapters in it. We know Jeremiah well, but another one of those prophets that God called to confront his people about their sin was this prophet by the name of Habakkuk. I like to say that, Habakkuk. If I ever get me another dog, I think I'm going to name him Habakkuk. Uh, it's either that or Fenway one. I'm not sure which one it's going to be. Uh, but Habakkuk, he was a prophet called of God to confront the people of Judah with their sin. And here's his problem. Habakkuk began to look around and he saw all the sin and the wickedness that was going on in the land and the lives of the people of God, and he started praying about it. He started asking God to do something about it. But if you look back into chapter 1 and verse number 2, it seemed like every time he prayed, all he got was a busy signal. I mean, he prayed, but there was no answer. There was no place to leave a callback number. There was no voice message. There was nothing. And the more he prayed and the more he cried, the greater the silence came on the other end of the line. It almost seemed like to a backup that God had grown totally unconcerned and totally uninvolved in all that was going on in the lives of his people. And when that happened, Habakkuk started doubting God. I mean, it's almost like Habakkuk says, God, are you really there? God, where are you? God, why don't you do something about what is going on? God, do you really care? Now, before we get too hard on Habakkuk, may I just say that if we'd all be honest, there ain't a one of us in this building tonight, excuse my English, that hadn't been in that point before. When we prayed and asked God, we were facing a certain situation. Maybe it was a family need. Maybe it was some kind of a physical need, a sickness, or maybe a, a wayward child or a marriage that was having difficulty. And we prayed and asked God to do something about it. 
And when God didn't answer in the allotted time, we started saying, God, are you really there? God, do you really care? God, are you really interested? God, do you see what is really happening? Well, that was Habakkuk's case. He was doubting, doubting God. But then God tells him back in chapter 1 and in verse number 5, God answers his prayer. Look back into chapter 1 and verse number 5 and God says this, Behold ye among the heathen and, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe though it be told. You know what he says? Habakkuk, the whole time you thought I'd become disinterested and I didn't see what was happening. I just want to tell you, son, I've been actively working in this situation and you didn't even know it. I, I have been, I have been, uh, I have been, I have been sitting at the wheel. My eyes have been on the road. My, my hands have been on the wheel. My feet have been on the pedals the whole time. And I've been working actively and you didn't even know it. How many times have we accused God of inactivity only to find that God's been very active the whole time? And God said, I just want to tell you, I'm answering your prayer. In fact, I've been working on this Habakkuk for years. You didn't even know it. But while you've been praying thinking I was unconcerned, I've been working up north, up there with the Chaldeans, and I'm getting ready to bring that crowd down here to, to punish my people, to use them as a, chat, as, as a whip to scourge and discipline my people. So finally Habakkuk gets an answer to his prayer. But can I tell you this? It's not at all the answer he was looking for. How many times has God answered our prayers and it wasn't at all the answer that we thought that we're going to see. So when God says, I'm bringing the Chaldeans down, this throws Habakkuk into another tailspin because he can't wrap his mind about how God can use a bad nation to punish a better nation. He can't wrap his mind around that. In chapter 1, and I think it's about verse number 13, he said, I don't understand how you can use a wicked person to devour a man that is more righteous than he. For Sight County Translation, I don't understand how you can let the bad guys whoop the good guys. You see, if you were to put the nation of Judah in a scale here, in a cup here, and the Babylonians in a cup over here, hands down, every time when it comes to morality, Judah would be better off than Babylon. I mean, morally speaking, even though with all their sin and their wickedness, morally speaking, I mean, the nation of Judah would have been better than the Chaldeans every time, every time. So he's questioning now, God, I don't get it. I don't understand how you can let the guys with the black hats on beat the guys with the white hats on. Now he's quit doubting God. Now he's debating God. Now he's arguing with God. Thank you for answering my prayer, Lord, but man, I ain't getting it. Lord, I don't understand how all this is going to work out. I don't get your plan, God. You ever, prayed, you ever thought about that before? Has that ever come your way before? And you quit doubting God and you started debating God? God does something and then we begin to debate with Him that maybe what we think is He's doing the wrong thing? Well, let me just remind you, God never does the wrong thing. There's a verse back in the book of Genesis, chapter 18, and I want to say, I want to thank maybe chapter 19, about verse 25, somewhere in that text there, and it says this, Shall not the judge of the earth do right? I mean, God, in every case, will always do that which is right. So maybe this would be a good point for me just to shut the message down and read you a couple of verses of Scripture. 
When it comes to God, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's ways are not our ways. For the Bible said, next verse, the Bible says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I mean, when we have a thought, God said, I just want to tell you something. Get on the earth, look up into heaven. Let me just tell you something. My, high, my thoughts are so much higher and holier than your thoughts could ever be that sometimes you may think I'm messing up when in reality I'm not the one who's messed up. You're thinking. Your way of thinking is what's messed up. I have been working the whole time. So as we come tonight now, with all that being said, and by the way, chapter 2 is just God telling Habakkuk, hey, don't worry about it, Habakkuk. Those Chaldeans are going to get what's coming to them as well. And if you want to read that chapter, uh, he just simply says, hey, I, you, you think I'm going to let them win, but in reality, I'm getting ready to punish them as well. God don't let anybody buy what they're seeing. Some men's sins, 1 Timothy 5, 24. Some men's sins wrote beforehand going before the judgment, and some men they follow after. But hear me and hear me well, they always follow after. In every case, in each and every time, God will always, always punish sin. He always will. So the Bible said now as we come to chapter number 3, what is Habakkuk doing? I mean, as, as he's understanding all this, trying to wrap his mind about all that's going on. And by the way, if you don't think this has a message for us, I, 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 in these days, this is what brought my mind to this book anyway after the, after the election of this year. Man, if, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around all that's happened here. I, 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 sometimes I just want to say, God, I'm not getting it here. You know, we got this president, and he loves Israel. And we got this president, and he, and he hates abortion. And we got this president, and he seemingly backed the church through this pandemic. And now all of a sudden, we got this other guy coming in who's totally opposite of everything this guy did. And God, it just looks like to me, you'd let this guy win over here, not this guy. Why did you let the guy with the black hat on? Why'd you let the donkey win? And not the elephant. I don't get this, Lord. Are you not there tonight? I'm not understanding all of this. I don't get all of this, but here's what Habakkuk says as we come to chapter 3. He says this, what we need to do is pray for revival. And that's all this text is talking about, verse 1 and verse number 2. Now he gets it, he understands God's people have ignored the word of God. They have refused the warning of God and they're getting ready to experience the wrath of God. As I look at our nation tonight, I think about our nation, how that we have ignored the Word of God. We have refused the warnings of God. And I just wonder if we're not getting ready to experience the wrath of God. So what's our response? Where do we fit into all this? What are we supposed to be doing in days just like this when we can't figure out all that's going on? Habakkuk said, why don't we do this? Won't we just pray and ask God to send revival? Amen. And so tonight, that's what these verses are about. And I want to share three things with you from these te this text, verse 1 and verse number 2. I want you to see, first of all, number 1, I want to talk a little bit about the condition. Number 1, the condition that motivates revival. Now, I've already told you this, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but if you were to go back to chapter 1, we find that the sin of God's people has reached epic proportions. The law 
So says the Bible, it's become slacked. In other words, what they're saying is, we have the law, but we don't even abide by it anymore. It's slacked. Our leaders are corrupt. He says our people, our people are neglecting each other. And he said, and here we are in this terrible situation... And God, what I, would, I, 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 what I just want to say to you is, is I don't understand how you're going to let these Babylonians and much more wicked people come upon us. I don't get all that. But I understand one thing. We do judge, deserve the judgment of God. Now, let me ask you, let me stop and just give you a thought here about this. Because how, how is God going to use this bad nation to punish this better nation? What was it? I mean, when you think about the sins of the Babylonians, you stack them here against the sins of the nation of Judah. Hands down, the sins of Babylon were far much worse than the sins of Judah. But sometimes what we don't, what we don't understand is this. Sin, any sin in the life of God's people is always worse than, in the, uh, than sin in the life of an unbeliever. Amen. Now, I've got to say that one more time. Because maybe I, I didn't say it good enough, it went over your head. But can I tell you this? Sin in the life of somebody who says that they know God versus sin in the life of somebody who doesn't know God is like ramped up on steroids in the life of that one that does know God because we know better. We are God's people. You see, light, light, the Bible, light increases knowledge. And light and knowledge will always increase responsibility and accountability. In other words, watch this. God would hold me much more accountable and responsible for the sin that I may allow in my life than he will uh, maybe the sin in the life of an unbeliever, though their sin may be much worse than my sin, just because I'm a child of God and I know better. God's going to hold me more accountable than he will that boy right over there. My wife and I were talking about uh, someone that we both know uh, the other day. And uh, we were talking about this person before they got saved, how bad their life was. Uh, the drugs and alcohol and, and the gambling and all that was going on in their life. But now that person got saved. And for probably three or four years, that person has out and out lived for God until now they've gone back out into that very same sin again. Now, I told her, I said, what makes this time totally different from the other times is now this person is saved. And now that this person is saved, God's not going to let them get by with all of this garbage going on in their life. These Babylonians, they didn't know, they didn't know God. They didn't know what God expected. But the people of God, they knew both God and they also knew what the Lord expected. They knew the Lord, yet they forgot the Lord. They knew the Lord, but they forsook the Lord. They knew the Lord, but they failed the Lord. And God had given the nation of Judah his word. And he'd given them prophets and, and good kings, but they had resented God's word. They had rejected God's word. They rebelled against God's word. And because of that, God was going to use this wicked crowd to bring judgment upon this better crowd because light increases knowledge. And light and knowledge increases accountability and responsibility. And rather than turning to God, they turned from God. Rather than desert, desiring God, they deserted God. And God said, hold it, judgment is about to 
come. I'm telling him, that's one of the reasons I think God would hold America more accountable and responsible for our sin than maybe he would some third world country, maybe on the continent of Africa somewhere, because America has had the Bible. We've had the gospel. We've had the light of God's word. We've had great preaching and preachers throughout the centuries and the, and the, uh, the, the centuries of our nation. We understand. We know better. And I think God's going to hold us more accountable than he will people, somebody that doesn't know better. In fact, I'll be honest with you. Don't be mad at me here. If you don't believe this, you can be wrong if you want to. But I, I simply believe this. I believe in degrees of punishment in hell. And I believe the more light that a person has, the more opportunity that they've had to receive Christ, to be saved, to hear preaching, to have invitations, for the Spirit of God to move in their heart, in judgment, on judgment day, it's going to be much worse than it is on somebody that maybe never has had that opportunity. Oh, my soul. I read just this week, this is crazy. And, and I get it, but it's it, 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 the first part of it, but it's crazy. Up in New Jersey, this just happened in 2019. There was this man, I was going to write his name down, forgot it. True story. So this man and his, his girlfriend have a baby. And they bring that baby home. And one night that baby will not quit crying. That baby's just crying and crying and crying. That baby won't quit crying. So this man picks a baby up, tries to comfort it. And when it, the baby keeps crying... The man just takes the baby and slams the baby down on the floor. True story. And he kills the baby, smashes his skull, kills the baby. He's been charged with first-degree murder for killing that little newborn baby. True story. Three blocks away in a hospital at the same time, a surgeon in an operating room inserts a tube in the base of the brain of a little baby, shoots a saline solution in, burns the little baby up. The little baby is born uh, dead, but that's okay. Now, I get it. Let's charge that old boy with murder. I get it. But what's the difference? Don't you tell me, man, God's going to hold us, let us buy with that kind of garbage in America. I'll tell you what, man, we, we need revival in America. If, we, if we're that crazy, if, we, we, if we've lost our spiritual bearings that much, God help us. We need revival. There's a condition that motivates us having revival. Condi we've got to have revival. Just like Judah, we've got to have it. Number two, I want you to see this, the cry. The cry that detonates revival. So what does Habakkuk start doing? Verse number one, notice this. It says a prayer. He's praying now. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. I got, I got to think of what in the world is Shigianoth? What is that? Sounds like something you don't want to catch to me. I looked it up. The word Shigianoth appears only one other time in the Bible. And it appears in the book of Psalms, chapter number 7. And the word means this, shikinoth. The word means this, it means a loud cry in the time of great danger and pain. So he says this, Lord, I'm praying, I'm crying loudly because it's a dangerous time and my heart is greatly pained. You know what he's saying? Habakkuk's looking around and he sees the mess that the nation is in. He sees the mess that people's lives are in and he cries with a loud cry unto God. It's a prayer of 
desperation. He feels desperate because he understands the condition the people are in. In fact, I think if we probably, in chapter 3, if we could see old Habakkuk, he's probably laying prostrate on the ground as this chapter opens. And he says, I'm crying, uh, uh, the prophet, upon Shiginoff. I'm crying with a loud cry. It's a desperate cry. M my heart is broken. He's probably laying on the ground. He he's probably got an ache in his heart the size of the state of Texas. He's got a lump as big as a watermelon in his throat. Hot tears are coursing down his cheeks because he's begging God to do something in his nation again. Help his people. Now watch this. Come up close. Come here. Let me tell you something. It's one thing to talk about what's going on. It's another thing to pray about what's going on. You know what I'm afraid we're doing? And I said we and I include myself in it. We're too guilty of talking about it. And we aren't nearly doing as much praying about it as we should be doing. I mean, it's easy to turn on Rush Limbaugh. It's easy to turn on Sean Hannity. It's easy to watch... Uh, car, uh, Tucker, whatever his name is. It's easy to watch Newsmax. It's easy to pick up those guys and just listen to all the talk about it and then go and talk about it and preach about it. It's easy. But man, I tell you, it's time for God's people to get on our faces once again with a heart that's broken and a lump in our throats and tears in our eyes and say, oh God, God, you've got to help us. We need you. We're in a dangerous position. It's time we cry out to God. I want you to look at verse number 2. Here's what he says. Oh, Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. In other words, he said, God, I heard what you said you were about to do. I heard that you were going to bring those Chaldeans over here, and they're very fierce and fast and ferocious people. I, I, I know what you're getting ready to do, Lord, and I just want to tell you, I, my heart is afraid of what's about to happen. I am fearful of what you're about to do to this land and to this people. And can I tell you something? One of the things I think in the last days, uh, maybe a, a blight that we can bring against the church of God in the last days, is we no longer fear God like we used to. We no longer fear God. People don't fear the Lord like they used to fear the Lord. They don't do that anymore. Uh, if, if they did, they wouldn't live the way they live. They wouldn't talk the way they talk. They wouldn't act the way they act. If they really feared God, they wouldn't get on this social media and write all this garbage and trash that they put out there for people to read about themselves. You may tell you what's wrong. We've just lost our fear of God. And I agree with you. I get it. One of the things we need in these last days is more faithfulness to God. I get that. And we need more fruitfulness for God. And I'll tell you, bless your heart, one of the greatest things the church of Jesus needs in the last days is more fearfulness of God. Getting back to fearing God again. Not much fear anymore. I tell you, if we really feared God like we said we'd feared God, we wouldn't go for days and weeks without reading the Bible. And we wouldn't go for days and weeks without praying. If we really feared the Lord, and Habakkuk simply says, Lord, you've got to do something. I've heard what you said, and I am, I am terrified by this. I'm telling you, if we knew, I don't know, I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom, but man, if we knew what God may be getting ready to do to our nation, we would probably be terrified by that because of our rebellion against him.
Boy, we need revival. We need revival. There's the condition that motivates revival. There's the cry that detonates revival. Oh, God, help us. God, we're afraid. Help us. But then there's the consequences that punctuates revival. I want you to look at verse number 2, and here's in essence what he's praying. Now, Lord, I, I, I understand what you're getting ready to do. I, I'm distrusting you. I'm afraid of it. What you said about it, I've heard your speech. I know what you said about you're getting ready to do, and I'm afraid. But, Lord, my prayer is this. Oh, Lord, watch this. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of years, of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. That is a great prayer for you and I to pray in these last days. We ought to memorize that verse. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. You say, what does all this mean? Let me break it down for you. So he's praying, number one, for God's power to be released. Notice that word revive. Oh, Lord, revive thy work. It literally means to cause to live again. Revive. You ever see somebody and maybe they have a heart attack and they, I guess, I, mean, I guess we could say they die and they put those paddles on them and they, poof, and they, and they shock them and their heart starts beating again. We would say, and they revived them. Uh, they, we, they, they were brought back to life. And boy, I tell you, that's what we need for God to do in these days. God, bring us back to life again. Lord, we've lost consciousness as your people. Lord, we've, we've dried up on the vine. God, we've, we've died. God, we need you to, re, to revive us, to make us alive again. And by the way, notice he said, Oh, Lord, revive thy work. It is God's work. It is God's work. It's not our work. It's not your work. It's not my work. It's God's work. Revival is God's work, God's supernatural work. So he's praying, God, Release your power. God, I'm praying for your power to be released. Notice number two, I'm praying for your presence to be revealed. Notice what he said again in verse two, revive thy work in the midst of the years. And then he says this, in the midst of the years, make known. Make what known? God, make yourself known. God, not only, God, not only release your power, but God, reveal your presence. God, make yourself known to us again. God, we want you to become first and foremost in our nation and in our lives once again. God, we want our people to be keenly aware of your presence once again. And then he prays for this, God's pity to be remembered. Look what he says in wrath. Boy, this is something we better be praying right now. In wrath. God, we have, can I say it like we'd say it in Forsyth County? God, we've ticked you off. Lord, you're angry. Now, I don't blame you for being angry. But Lord, in the midst of all that, would you just please remember mercy? I mean, that's what is praying. Okay, God, the Chaldeans are coming. You know, we say, the British are coming. The British are coming. Paul Revere did. Well, in that day, Habakkuk said, uh, the Chaldeans are coming. The Chaldeans are coming. But he said, God, I understand they're coming, but I'm just asking you. And we deserve it. We deserve your wrath, every bit of it. But God, please, in the time of your wrath, would you remember mercy? God, have pity upon us. And I told you this last week. God will always have mercy on his people. And I want to prove it, and I'm done. But I ask you this last week. Name me one Chaldean you know. You don't know one stinking Chaldean. There's not a stinking Chaldean alive on this earth today. 
But there are plenty of Jews. In fact, I did this. Listen to this. I, let me read this to you. I found out as of the end of 2019, there are 14,707,400 Jews on the earth. God in wrath remembered mercy. And that's what we got to pray in these days. God, we've made you mad. We get it. We deserve everything that's coming down the pipe toward us. But Lord, would you please, in a time of wrath, just have mercy upon us. Have mercy. We better be praying that prayer. Hey, January 20th's coming. Am I right? We better pray. God in wrath, remember mercy. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray tonight, help us with this.